Before we get going tonight and you think, man, you're taking all your time. Well, it's night. And I got on my kicks, tennis shoes, and you know, my hoodie. We're going to relax a little bit. And I'm going to share a little bit of my story. But I want you to answer for me a question. If you were saying to the next generation, what are the three most important spiritual disciplines that if you had these in your life daily, you're going to make it to the end of the road? What would be the three that you would write down? I'm going to give you a few moments. Dun, 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 dun. You writing them? Are you thinking about them? What would be essential practice that you think every believer would have to have if they're going to continue in their faith to be as old as I am, 60? Because, you know, here's what's true. People, when they start on their journey with Christ, over 70% of them never make it to the end of the road. Now, many of them disqualify themselves, but some of them just decide to do something different because the battle is truly tough. Very few of us make it to the end of the journey. And in fact, most of us will fall and tumble, not in the first half of our life, but literally the second. Most people climb mountains and most deaths are not on the uphill, but on the down. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor. My mom was as Christian as he was. My dad reads a book of the Bible a day. And he has for, he's 86, they've been married 66 years. So he's done it since he was 30. So you do the math, that's a long, long time. He reads a lot of Bible. I am not that. I uh, try to read a chapter a day. Good for me. You know, I might not get A's in this school. But it's not how much you go through the Bible, it's how much the Bible goes through you, Right? And I was raised with a Christian family and they were pouring the Bible on me all the time. And I can tell you what I did. I resented it. I hated it. I didn't want to be a Jesus freak and I didn't want to be a Christ follower. And when my mom would drop me off at school all the way through junior high school, you know what she had the guts and the nerve to say to me? Oh, it still makes my skin crawl a little bit now. She would cry out to me in her little Southern Texas voice, be a missionary. Don't be a mission field. And you know why she said that? Because as sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ, everywhere we go, we're either missionaries or mission fields. We're either needing to tell somebody about Jesus or we're needing to be told about Jesus. Either our life and behavior is modeling the truth and glory of the gospel or either our life and behavior is needing someone to model the truth and the glory of the gospel to us. Now, I never said that to my kids because I didn't want them to feel like I felt. You know what my dad used to pray for me? On his knees. I've never had a day that my dad hadn't prayed for me. I used to hear him pray out loud, God, I would rather my children be dead than to ever bring dishonor to your name. And you know what I think on Friday and Saturday night when I was in high school? I'm going to die. <laughs> and it's funny now. But I, it was really serious. And I never prayed that prayer for my kids either. I said, God, let them live and let them know you and go to heaven. You know, they choose to follow you. I want them to do it out of faith and not fear, right? But I want you to think about some things with me tonight together. Who is the worst person that's ever lived in the world? Ah, we'll go with Hitler. Bad dude. Okay, so let me ask you the question, Hitler man, and this is for all of us. Let me ask you this question. What is the gap 
What is the gap between you and Adolf Hitler? Second question. We got to keep going. We're going to run our time. It's not that loose. Who is the best person apart from Jesus that ever lived? I know we're at a Christian school. You want to say Jesus really bad. It's not the answer. Apart from Jesus, who is the best person that has ever lived? Did you say Dr. White? No, I know him. It's not. It's not. Already, he's far below this person. I'm thinking, what did you say? Okay, we'll go with Mary. Would Mary work? Somebody said Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's pretty good. It's not Jesus, but really, really close. Okay, so for those of you who are really, really good and you think you're really, really awesome, let me ask you the question. What is the gap in your goodness between you and Mary? But those are all dumb questions, aren't they? Because really, there's only one gap, isn't there? And if you consider yourself better than Adolf Hitler, it'd be like you boasting to someone you're an inch taller than that you're closer to the moon than they are. And if you think that you're better or worse than Mary, guys, there's only one gap. And it's between every human that has ever lived and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the world. That's why we worship him and sing songs to him and read his inspired word of God. Adam and Eve were the perfect man and the perfect woman. And how many sins did they have to commit before they were cast from the presence of God and angels were guarding the presence of God from these horrible, sinful human people? How many sins was it? I forgot. One. And what was that awful sin? They disobeyed. How many times? Once. And what was that disobedience that they did? They ate fruit. Any of your parents ever kick you out of the house for eating fruit? Guys, the gospel is good news for sinners. And that's all of us. And our relationship with Christ is rooted in his unconditional love for us and not rooted in our status or behavior. Your goodness will never be good enough and your badness will never be so bad that you're outside the love and forgiveness of God and your goodness will never be so good enough that you're good enough to get there on your own. Apart from Jesus, none of us make it. Jesus bridged that gap to restore us to God and it's all of us, every one of us. He's the one who allows us to call him father and puts us in his family. It's his love and his forgiveness for us that brings us in I don't want to draw your attention to scripture that you're very familiar with, but I want to highlight what I think is the most important, essential missionary discipline that we see found in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 15. We all know it. You can turn there if you want. You can just quote it in your brain with me. I don't know. Maybe you don't know it. You're Baptist. You know, we didn't do that in our liturgy, right? You know, we, we get in these more liturgical churches and services, and all of a sudden, everybody's, everybody all went, and we're not that way. Here it is. Our Father, heart in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's not in your Bible, but we all know it anyway. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
What, what's the point of the prayer? Is Jesus just teaching his disciples how to pray? Yeah, in a sense. Is he giving them a model to prayer? Yeah, yeah, in a sense. Is he saying that prayer is important? Yes, in a sense. But you know when a preacher does something, he says something, and then he wants to let you know what he thinks is the most important thing about the thing that he just said, he will say it again. Right? What is the one thing that Jesus said again? Just keep going in your text, verse 14 and 15. For, here's the point, if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. Verse 15, but if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Jesus here is clearly emphasizing our need to forgive, and I think forgiveness is the greatest spiritual discipline that any of us could have. How many of you wrote that down in one of your first three? Did you write down reading your Bible? Good, read your Bible. But the Bible was written to illiterate people. The only time they had the word of God was when someone was teaching it to them. I'm telling you, know enough Bible today that if you never learned another verse, you would know enough to live with the rest of your life. But we don't put on there, forgive people who hurt us. And Jesus clearly is saying in this prayer, if you forgive those Lord, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those who sin against us. He's emphasizing that. There are two ways, guys, that we can be like God. To love unconditionally. You do that? The agape love, we don't have time to get into that, but he loves everybody the same. He loves nobody differently. And when God loves us, he loves us fully. He loves us immensely. He loves us so much that he would die for us, any of us, all of us. And his death is the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins, the sins we have committed in the past and the sins we are to commit in the future. He loves us so much that he gave himself for us. But he also forgives us fully. Even to the point of the most worst sin that you could possibly ever imagine committing which I would say probably murder. What about those who murdered him? What did he say? What was his prayer from the cross? Oh, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let me ask you this question. Has anyone ever hurt you and you've been unable to forgive them? Or maybe just unwilling? to forgive them? Is there someone who, if they came into the room tonight, you would immediately have a change of disposition or countenance or mannerisms? Well, if that's true, we know that you have unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart. And bitterness is if someone has hurt us or someone has wronged us or someone has sinned against us and the hurt still exists with us in relationship to them. And Jesus is saying, forgive them, whatever, how small it is or however big it is. It's a weight that you carry that will destroy your life and you cannot carry a weight to the end of the journey. I'm from Iowa. Any of you guys from Iowa? Okay, if you've not been from Iowa, any of you farmers? No, well, only farmers in Iowa? And, and, go figure. Have you ever been to a tractor pool? Yeah. Thank you, Cedarville. Connected with the tractor pool. You know, every tractor gets going really good at first. But as they carry that weight, the further they carry that weight, the more burden that it gets. And all of a sudden, that tractor bogs down and dies. 
And if you're carrying bitterness in your soul, I'm telling you, you can carry it for a while, but you can't carry it for a lifetime and it will destroy your soul. Is this verse saying that Jesus' love and forgiveness is conditional for us? I don't know, some of you guys Bible teachers, is she saying if I don't forgive people who hurt me, then Jesus can't forgive me? So I'm gonna die and go to hell if I'm unforgiven? No. Here's what he's saying. You know what 1 John says? He loved us, so we're able to love others. It's not conditional, it is provisional. God has forgiven you, therefore he's given you the power and the the potential because of his Holy Spirit to forgive anybody who has hurt you. It is not conditional, it is provisional. We love because he loved us, we forgive because he forgave us. Guys, I don't care who's hurt you, I don't care what the hurt is, you have the power to forgive. You know, when I first started my tractor pool, whoo, I was giddied up for Jesus. Man, my dad, I never got allowance, but if I memorized the Bible, he'd pay me money. And I didn't love Jesus, but I love money. So I memorized whole chunks of the Bible. I'm talking about Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm talking about my proverb. Every psalm in the Psalms, that's less than 20 verses, I've memorized it. Because I got a buck a verse. And I got an extra 20 bucks for every chapter. So those little chapters, you know, they, they will really rise up. And I was a rich kid. And then if I read my Bible every year, he'd give me a $100 bill. And so every once in a while... I would keep moving that ribbon and ask him a question or two just so he would think I was reading my Bible, right? And every once in a while, he'll stick money in my Bible just to keep me from it. I learned to flash my Bible just so I get the money out, right? But when I met Jesus and started following him, guess what? All of that scripture started coming in my soul and I started applying the word of God that I knew and it became a relationship that was unquenchable to me. And some of you here tonight, maybe that's your story. You've been around so much Christian stuff and you're so close to the reality of the gospel that you've never met the beauty and glory of Jesus because I'm telling you, he will change your life. And when I got that passion, I was so fired up, I wanted to win everybody in the city. And in my city, there was a girl. She was a 15-year-old girl and the story went out to everybody because it's very popular. She's a very popular girl in school and she was studying driver's ed in one of the public parks in the middle of the day. And a serial rapist grabbed her, dragged her in the woods and raped her. And everybody in the city knew about it. Everybody in the town knew about a serial rapist and everybody knew about this girl. So me being the Jesus fight guy that I was, I thought her life is ruined. She needs the gospel. She needs to forgive this guy because they might never catch him, but her life will be destroyed by that one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it was in her life. Her life will be destroyed. So, me being an idiot, went to meet with her, shared the gospel with her, told her she needed to forgive the guy who violently attacked her and abused her. You know what she said to me? Who in the hell do you think you are? You have no idea what I've experienced. You want me to forgive this guy? I said, yeah. I remember I was crazy believing the truth of the scripture. 
So she rejected Jesus, but some crazy thing. She didn't reject me, and I worked in the lumber yard, and she worked in the donut shop, so I started building a relationship with her a little bit, and several months later, she gave her life to Christ. But she didn't forgive the guy. Fast forward to summer. Next summer, we went to youth camp, and there was a preacher preaching on Romans 8, 28. Dr. White, have you got to Romans 8, 28 yet? We know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, those who are called according to his purposes. And she thought about the experience that she had was when she was 15, and, and she decided that she remembered what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they not, don't know what they're doing. And she was able to forgive that guy for the first time in his year because she finally grew to her faith to the point that she trusted God enough to forgive her assailant. And the next week she called me crying. We still had a friendship. And she said, they got him. They got him. After a long trial, this abuser was sentenced to multiple life sentences in prison. And he was never going to get out. And you know what happened? The same girl came to me and she said, he's in prison now. Why don't you go share the gospel with him? <laughs> you know what? I had a relationship with this girl now. And you know what? I thought God is sovereign. If he goes to heaven, it's going to have nothing to do with me. I hope he goes to hell. That's what I thought. She had no bitterness. But my bitterness began. You know, I still have a relationship with this girl. That's been over 40 years. Maybe you want to see her picture. I'll show it to you. Beautiful gal. Can you cue that picture I told you about? See the one in the pink in the middle? So fast forward 30 years. I've met and married because of my love for Jesus, the love of my life. Her story is the most horrific story you can take down the most horrific story I've ever been personally close to. I can share with you details that would make your skin crawl. This guy raped seven women that we know about. She was the only minor. So fast forward 30 years, and I'm a preacher of a megachurch, and we're teaching through the book of Genesis, and we get to the story of Joseph. In the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's brothers treat him like trash. And yet he still continued to respond to God. And because of his response to God, even though he's treated like trash, he was raised to second in command, and now his brothers are begging on their knees for food from him because he was the ruler. He could have had them slaughtered in that moment, and if he was bitter, he would have. But what did he say to them, Genesis 50? You intended evil for me, but God, God intended it for good. And now 30 years later, I'm gonna preach this passage, and the Holy Spirit has come on to me, and he said, Troy, he said, when are you, as a megachurch pastor, gonna start applying the principles of scripture, that weight that you're carrying, his name is Bruce Hatter is dragging you down and will ultimately drag you out. Are you willing to forgive him? So I preached that sermon. I told the church, I said, if I can find him, I'm gonna share the gospel with him. Thinking, I could never find him. I asked my wife, I said, do you still want me to share the gospel with the guy? I didn't even know his name at the time. And she said, yeah, that would be awesome. So 30 years later, I figured out he was in a prison 60 miles from my house 
And because I was a victim now, being a husband of someone he molested, he had to visit with me one time. You know what it's like to go into a prison to meet with a serial rapist? You know what a serial rapist looks like? You. And I didn't point at anybody specific. <laughs> I will now. Dr. White. <laughs> Ron. Guys, he looked like me. He looked like you. He didn't look like Adolf Hitler. He didn't look like what you see on television. You know what he looked like? He looked like an image bearer made in the image of Jesus who needed the gospel. And if it wasn't for the grace of God in my life, I would have been in his place and he would have been in mine. And when I saw him, you know what I felt? Not hate, but love. You know what I wanted for him? I wanted him to know the Jesus that I had come to know. And I saw that the gap was stripped away. And I realized there's a man in need in Jesus. And my problem was that I thought that my sin was somehow less than his. I thought that somehow his sin was worse than mine. I thought that I was savable. In fact, God did good when he saved me, but he was not savable. He deserved hell. What is the truth? There is no gap between you and any other men. All of the gap is between you and Jesus. And when you get that, you'll become a gospel minister because you will see every person as an image bearer in need of Christ. And whatever grace has been in their life that gives them goodness, you'll bring glory to God. And whatever bad has been in their life because of their sin, you will cry out to God on their behalf. And here's the better thing. When you understand how much Jesus has forgiven you, you will truly be able to forgive anybody who has ever hurt you. And guess what? You will be free. So I'm going to give you quickly five principles of forgiveness that I think every believer needs to learn to practice, and it's a lifelong discipline, a lifelong practice, and I'm telling you, if you don't do it, you will be a tractor pull, and it won't be long, and that weight will get you down. Number one, our ability to forgive comes from right-sizing our need for forgiveness. When's the last time you confessed sin, real sin? Because nobody will ever sin against you as much as you've sinned against God. No one will ever sin against us as much as we've sinned against God. Peter had a problem with sin. Did you know that? Jesus talking about forgiveness. Peter had a really brilliant question. He was the oldest disciple. We learned that last night. Possibly. He said, Jesus, got a question. Matthew 18, you know the story. How many times should I forgive my brother? The law said six. Peter added one because he wanted to have a little Jesus fight on it. He said, seven times. And what Jesus say to him? You guys know this. Not seven times, but 70 times seven. Was Jesus saying 490 times? No. I doubt anybody's gonna sin against you 490 times, but if anybody ever sins against you and they sin against you in a serious way, you will think about it 490 times. And then Jesus told the story, told the story about the master who had a steward who owed him literally $600,000. And he went to the steward, he said, hey, pay up. And he said, I can't pay up. And he forgave him his, he forgave him his debt. And the same steward went to a fellow steward who owed him 60 bucks. And he said, pay up your debt or I'm gonna put you in jail. And he said, I can't pay the debt. And he didn't forgive him. He put him in jail. 
And then Jesus said to the disciples, not true story, it's just one he made up and he makes up some really good stories. He said, what do you think the master's gonna do when someone who just got forgiven a million dollars won't forgive somebody 60 bucks? And Peter was not the smartest bulb on the circuit, but he knew the answer to that. He said, the guy's in trouble. And he said, absolutely. And that's the way it is with every single one of you who does not forgive his brother from his heart. And who is his brother? Your neighbor. Anybody not gone? Because God is the master of the story and he has forgiven us. And when we right-size our need for forgiveness, we are able to give forgiveness to others. Secondly, forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice that enables us to begin the healing from the pain. You will never be free from your pain until you choose to forgive. What does Ephesians 4, 30 and 32 through 32 says? And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God who sealed you for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, let all bitterness go from you. Let it be removed from you along with some other things and all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Why? Just as God has forgiven you in Christ. You familiar with one of the great theologians of our day? She's actually a female scholar, I would say, at least of the world, Oprah Winfrey. You ever get advice from her? Here's some today. Here's what she said. The true purpose of forgiveness is to stop allowing whatever another person has done to affect the way that you live today. It's pretty good. Well, you don't like Oprah? An unknown pastor said this, bitterness is a poison that we drink to kill the person who hurt us. It's a poison that we drink to kill the person who hurt us. One of the best books ever written, R.T. Kendall, Total Forgiveness. If you haven't read the book, I recommend that you read it. Read it. It's a classic. One of the newest books on forgiveness has been written. Tim Keller, before he passed into eternity, wrote a book, Forgive. It's a powerful, powerful book. Number three, forgiveness is a lifestyle, not an event. Christ's forgiveness, as you know this, it begins our relationship with Jesus. We repent from our sin. We have faith in Jesus, and guess what? Wow, born again, children of the king. It's his continued forgiveness that continues our relationship with him. We confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. John said, if you say you don't have sin, you're just not thinking hard enough about it. He said, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. And you have fellowship with God and with one another if we're confessors of sin. That would be another discipline that we'll talk about later. But confessing of sin, we just don't do that very much anymore. Listen to our prayers. Rarely do we confess real sin. We talk about requests that we have, requests that God doesn't want us to know or have or want. He wants to talk to us about our sin. But also forgiveness enables us. His forgiveness enables us to forgive others. Listen to Mark eleven twenty five. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, and I, we have some Greek scholars in, in here, right? And I 
when I was in school, asked my Greek scholar what it meant, and here's what it meant. Anything against anyone. English got that right. If you're praying and you have anything against anyone, here's what Jesus said, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrong deed. And what about Colossians 3.13? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you're to forgive one another. Can you think of somebody right now who've never forgiven? Let's pretend for just Thirty seconds. Jesus could have a one-on-one real conversation with you. What would he tell you to do in relationship to that person who has hurt you? We know How many times do we have to read it in his word? Guys, we're putting our faith in him to take care of our eternity. And yet, we won't put our faith in him to take care of our relationships or tomorrow. He would say, forgive them. As I have forgiven you. And yet, why do we struggle? Because there's a war going on and it is for your soul. Satan does not want you to finish. In fact, that war is for him to destroy you on your pathway and your journey to Christ. And Satan is patient. He'll wait till you get in your 30s or 40s or 50s. But he will use your bitterness and your unforgiveness to destroy your life. Mark my words. Number four. Forgiveness focuses our relationship on Christ and acknowledges his control over our lives. You know, I I like to read sometimes secular authors, especially in writing on biblical principles. And this Gerald, I can't even say his last name, Jeb Polsky, it's tough. He's a secular psychiatrist who's written extremely on forgiveness. And his book is called Forgiveness, the Greatest Healer of All. Here's what he says. Forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could ever be any different. I'm gonna say that again. Forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could ever be any different. You can't change what's happened. Here's a Christian way to say it. Where was God when it happened? And you're gonna struggle with your relationship with God if you can't understand his sovereignty that he allowed you to get hurt. And maybe he's using your hurts so that you can be a healer to others. How many people you think have been helped by the story of my wife being brutally raped in a park when she was 15 years old? Thousands upon thousands. And look at the glorious story of her life. She has almost forgotten that it happened. If I didn't tell the story all the time, she would have forgotten because this never affected our marriage. When our girls turned 15, she had to remember again what happened because the places she goes, the things that happen and all the things do not affect our marriage or her life because she is free from Bruce Allen Hatter. And she wanted him to know the same Jesus as she did and she wanted him to give glory to Jesus just like she does. 
All bitterness ultimately is against God. What did Joseph say? You meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. And if God intended it for good, God will not allow anything to happen in your life that he will not bring good about in it. I hate Luke 6. Can you say that at Cedarville? I did. You can mark it if you can't say it. Well, I don't hate it. I actually really love it, but I hate what it says because it's hard. Jesus said, listen. That means you should pay attention. Love your enemies. Do what's good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. He goes on in verse 35 and he says, love your enemies, do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great in heaven. You'll be children of the most high God for he's gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Don't judge, you'll be judged. Don't condemn or you'll be condemned. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Give in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I never thought that Bruce would be such a gracious gift of God to me. Because as a pastor, I'd have people come into my life and they were being unfaithful to their spouse and I would think, oh, what a loser. I'd have people that would come into my office who were struggling with sexual sin or pornography or people that would come into my life that were struggling with lying or or, or all kinds of sin. I even had people that came into my life who would struggle with pedophilia and just, just horrendous, horrendous sins. And I would think, wow, I'm so glad that I'm not you. But you know what? Every time someone comes in like that now, we have a student in one of our salt companies who's struggling with dysphoria And you know what I thought when I saw them? I thought, I wish I had enough relationship with them that I could give them a hug and tell them how much I loved them, how much Jesus loves them. Because I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the grace of God, guys guys in my life, it'd be me in prison for all of my life and it'd be Bruce that's standing at Cedarville preaching the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't believe me? Look at some of the guys that he used in your Bible. One hero, Jesus. We don't have time to get in all the graphic gross stuff that men who God used did. Final point, we'll be done here. Forgiveness shifts our focus from another person's sin to our obedience. You will never give an account for anybody else's sins but your own. That's what Romans says. But we all will give an account for all of our sins and we all will give an account for how we responded to those who sinned against us. Because the greatest spiritual discipline is to learn to forgive those who hurt you. And who has hurt you? Probably the people that are closest to you. And who has hurt you the most? Probably the people who should have loved you the most. And why did it hurt so bad? Because they're not supposed to do that. But why did they do that? Here's why they did it, because they're people. 
And hurt people hurt people. And who will stop the bondage? Who will stop the pain? And forgiveness frees us to fully obey Jesus. What if you trusted him enough to forgive everybody who's hurt you? I tell you who would be free. Not the people that you're holding in jail, you. And it's not an event, it's a process. But listen to Hebrews 12, 14 to 15. Pursue peace with everyone in holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord Jesus. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling you and everyone around you. You know what I've discovered, and maybe it's not true at Cedarville, but I talk to students. I've been working with students for 40 years, college students for 40 years, and I, I love it. Every year at the conference, if, if you can get saved again, and I know you can, my theology's not messed up, but it's like I get saved again. And if I had an invitation, I would go forward every year, and I would say, God, if you'd give me another lifetime, I'd double down on reaching college students. I absolutely love it. And dealing with college students especially in secular universities, you know the number one person that most of our students are bitter toward? Their dad. And you know who comes in number two? Their mom. I do a talk called The Forgotten Commandment, right? The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. You know, it wasn't just given to kids. In fact, Jesus had a hard time with religious leaders in Matthew 15, talking to the religious leaders. He said, you know what I hate about your religion? You use your religion to dishonor my word. You know what they were saying? Well, I'm just following Jesus. They didn't say that because they were actually not following Jesus, but they were following the religious law at the time, Judaism. He's saying, you disregard what you know I want you to do for some self-righteous act that you're doing. And you know what? Children feel entitled to be bitter toward their parents because their parents were in authority and should have never sinned against them and never hurt them. And guys, I want to say to you, you were right. 100%. But someday you'll be a parent and you'll understand. You know what you're going to do? You're going to sin against your kids. But we don't have a lot of kids in this room tonight, do we? We have men and women of God. We have men and women that we're calling to change the world for Jesus Christ. We have men and women, future husbands and wives and fathers and mothers. And before Jesus, guess what? It's time to let your parents go. Be the adult now. Be the Christ follower now. You be the one that comes from this Christian school and says, guess what? I just love you. And I'm so grateful and overwhelmed with the joy of Jesus to be in relationship with you. And whatever they've done, whatever they've said, just give it to Jesus and let it go. You're in an attractive pool of life and you can't afford the weight of bitterness. I want you to go. I want you to go overseas. I want you to give your life. I want you to do all kinds of crazy things for the kingdom of God. But there's an enemy who wants to destroy you and he is patient 
And as long as you're unwilling to obey Jesus with the very clear things, you won't make it to the end. And you will sacrifice your reward. Can we just let go of some bitterness tonight? Or begin to let go? Would you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, here we are in your presence in this beautiful chapel that has been built on the foundation of men and women who've gone before us and the generosity of saints who cried out to you for young men, emerging leaders, young women, emerging leaders in the church of the living God who will go from this place to the ends of the earth. And God, I pray that your spirit will fall on this place and that we will hear you say as though we murdered you on the cross. Father, forgive Troy. He didn't know what he's doing. Father, forgive Beth. Forgive Cindy. Forgive John, Kurt, Jeremiah. They don't know what they're doing. But God, we've received your forgiveness. And I pray that in answer to the prayer that you've taught us to pray, that we would give that forgiveness that we received from you to every single person who has hurt us. To our dad and our mom and our brother, our sister, our uncle, our aunt, our cousin, our boss, our employer, our neighbor, the mean girl in school or that guy who bullied us or that coach, God, whoever it is, I pray that we would just say, because Jesus has forgiven me my sins, I forgive them. And God, would you enable us to experience the lifting weight of forgiveness and would you replace that bitterness with overwhelming love? Love for people that we don't know and even love for the people who hurt us the most, who have become somehow our enemies. Because you turned us from being your enemies to being your children. It's your love and your forgiveness we want to emulate and model. Would you empower us as missionaries to go from this place, no longer be in mission fields. In Jesus' name we pray.